But we have a missionary, Jake Tease, and his wife Sam, who is unable to be here because they just had a baby who is what? A month old? Is, am I saying that right? Two months old. There we go. Two months old. And so she is hanging out with baby in Iowa, and Jake is here with us. But Jake actually gets to be a missionary to where I came from, which is Sri Lanka. Kind of crazy that I'm here and he's going there. But, uh, hey, that's how God works, right? So uh, this morning, uh, we have Jake Tease. He's going to come here in a few minutes. He's going to share what God is doing in his heart and how God has stirred them to go to Sri Lanka and to uh, be an uh, impact in that community. He's going to share a little bit about what is happening there. But um, Jake is somebody that we currently do not support. But because of your generosity in 2023, we are able today to tell Jake yes, and that we would, yes, let's celebrate that. So we'll be bringing Jake on onto our missions portfolio in 2024 and excited to see what God is going to do. But even as Jake comes, I want to draw your attention to the screen. We've got a short video just to introduce what he gets to do in Sri Lanka. Thank you. Sri Lanka is uh, the most beautiful country because of the colors in it and the culture. Now there's a, a culture here. Uh, to be Sri Lankan, if you're a Sri Lankan, you have to be Buddhist. Though the Christianity number is a little more higher than it used to be, I would say uh, 22 million Sri Lankans still need Christ. Roughly a little close to one year, like uh, five to seven families we saw coming into Christ. Uh, that was the first uh, group of believers who accepted Christ in this village. So one day uh, we saw a poster saying that you are not welcome here, uh, you need to pack your bag and leave, or we will take your life. It was normal Saturday, and we had gone to uh, sleep expecting the Sunday morning prayer time. My wife at uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, it was God saying like, uh, be ready, be prepared. I heard this uh, big noise. And then I heard the second one. I felt that it was hit on my roof. Then I got out of the uh, bed and, and then when I looked up, my whole uh, roof was on fire. And then suddenly it was like a vacuum cleaner. It stuck out all the smoke and the fire. Later when the police came in and uh, he asked me, did you extinguish the fire? How come still the petrol uh, on your door? and there is no way uh, you can get rid of fire while the petrol is there. Then the person who do black magic said, surely there must have been a great power with you. Uh, that's why you are saved uh, today. God allowed that to happen, to show how powerful is God. I was ready to give my life for few people, but uh, more than that, I must live for more people. 18,000 more people in the village still need to hear the gospel. And I don't want to see my nation go to hell. 
I don't want to see that. This nation needs Christ. Um, we need, we need people who needs to give legs for the gospel. Come to this nation, look at the cross. That's what God have done for you. What have you done for him? Just think about that. It's back. I've seen that video countless times, and I still fight tears back every time I come up here. You can just, you can feel his heart for his nation. And after being here last night and being here this morning, to hear your pastor talk to his team before church, it's like, man, he has that heart, not just for this nation, but for his neighbors. And that's why he's here. Because he wants to encourage you guys and impart that same heart that you would have that heart for your neighbors and your nation. Do you feel that way? About the people who don't know Jesus in Pittsburgh? In your family? Because I think sometimes we get numb to this fact that there's so many people who don't know Jesus and we just don't care. I'm, my personality is bent towards apathy. Um, I don't know about you, and, and I know I find myself fighting that often. And so I didn't come up here to share all of that, um, but I felt like it was important. Don't grow apathetic to the people around you that don't know Jesus. Because God has called us to do that. He's called each of us to take up our cross and follow him, right? I bookmarked in Matthew this morning, just in case God changed everything and made me share this. And he has. But you know the, the scripture where he says, those who will follow me will take up their cross and follow me. But he also says this, and that was Matthew 16. In Matthew 11, and I never remember this, but he says this earlier on in his life. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You guys, we've all been called things. We talked last night about praying and giving and going to help the lost. I don't think that somebody who follows Jesus that's not willing to pick up that cross is not worthy to be called a disciple of Jesus. Those aren't my words. That's the Bible. I'm not translating it for you. Jesus said, if you're not willing to take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. And so, um, I got a few minutes here, so I do want to tell you a little bit about my family. That was the original plan this morning, was to tell you about my wife and I and our ministry in Sri Lanka. And so as he mentioned, her name is Samantha. We have an 18-month-old son. His name is Liam. And we have a two-month-old daughter who's not pictured on the screen because she is only two months. Um, and she is a handful. And so they are at home. She wishes she could have been here, but we didn't think an eight-hour drive was a good first trip with our two-month-old. So we left her at home. Um, but we have been able to serve in Sri Lanka for the past two years now, and I'd love to be able to share more with you, maybe after service at my table, about my good friend Muhammad, who's from Pakistan. And he fled to Sri Lanka as a refugee, and we got to be a part 
of his discipleship and baptism when we were there in Sri Lanka. I'd love to tell you more about a good friend, Waruna, who was a Buddhist when we met her in Sri Lanka, who now knows Jesus, and her and her husband both were baptized this last August. You know, I'd love to tell you more about my friend and my wife and my dear friend. Her name is Fatima. She's currently a Muslim, but you guys, she wants the truth. And she has gotten to hold the Bible for the first time in her life. She's gotten to hear the truth about Jesus because most Muslims think they know the truth about Christ. And she's gotten to hear that for the first time. And we've gotten to have these amazing conversations with, about, with Jesus about her and what that could look like if she follows him. And when my wife asked her once, Fatima, what happens if Jesus reveals himself to you as the truth? Her response was this, sister, I think that would be difficult. Because when I told my family I was going to marry somebody that simply wasn't a Muslim, my uncle threatened to burn us. And that was her response to what happens if Jesus reveals himself to you as the truth. And so I'd love to tell you more about her and her story as well. We've had some amazing opportunities to have people in our home to study the Bible. And like I said, people like Fatima have gotten to hold the Bible for the first time in their life and hear these stories of God. Because people like you have chosen to, to carry that cross and to respond to what Jesus asked us to respond to, and that's to go and make disciples right? And because you guys are following Jesus, you're being obedient to that call to pray for the lost, to give to the lost, and to go. And so I, I'm so grateful to hear this morning that you guys are going to be continuing to give legs to the gospel in Sri Lanka. And so I'd love to, to catch you more. I have these wonderful little prayer cards out at our table. They have a QR code on the back. You guys can get more information about us and what we do. And we'd love to keep you in the loop about what we're doing. We're definitely going to keep you guys in the loop, Pastor Eric and Anthony. Um, but if you guys want to be kept in the loop as individuals, catch me at my table. We'll make that happen. Thanks, you guys. Um, we're so thankful for your obedience and your heart um, to reach the unreached people groups and to step into whatever God's calling you. And this morning, we just want to invest into your ministry. We just want to say thank you. Uh, on behalf of Flag Church for uh, continuing to go and continue to spread the gospel. Hey, uh, even as he goes this morning, um, I'm going to pray for Jake. If that's okay with you guys, would you join me? Would you just uh, uh, raise a hand towards him and just pray for him? Not just wait on me to pray, but you pray uh, that God could use him in powerful ways to continue to impact hearts and life. Let's do that. Can we do that? Father, I just thank you right now for Jake, Lord. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his family. I thank you for his wife and his kids. I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed him with this uh, heart that is breaking for what breaks your heart to reach the lost. Father, I thank you for going ahead of him, for paving the way, for opening doors, for giving him favor, Lord. Father, for being able to uh, take the gospel to uh, these people that don't know you, Lord, and to bring hope and to bring freedom uh, from bondage and captivity, Lord. Father, we thank you for the freedom that he gets to carry in his heart through your word. Father, I pray even as he continues to uh, seek your will, and as they go in for their second term, that you would go ahead of them, that you would give them protection, that you would give them favor, that you would uh, put a hedge... Uh, 
a protection around their family, over their marriage, over their finances. Father, I pray that you would empower him. Holy Spirit, I pray for a fresh anointing that would empower him to be able to go and to uh, speak with confidence, Lord. Father, we know that when we trust you and when we lean on you, that you strengthen us and that you empower us and that you equip us and then you send us out to be your hands and feet. So we pray that you would do that in and through Jake. We thank you for his obedience. We thank you for his life. Bless him now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you, friend. Flag Church, I just want to say thank you to you. Those stories that he was sharing are going to continue to happen and new lives are going to know Jesus because of your giving and generosity, because of your obedience and because of your faithfulness. You play a part in what's happening through Jake in Sri Lanka. So I just want to say thank you for continuing to do that. This morning, I would like to introduce you to a dear friend, a great, amazing pastor Outstanding leaders in many circle of influences, Pastor uh, Terry and Karen Yancey. The Yanceys have served uh, the AGK, the Assemblies of God uh, Network, as superintendents for the past 24 years in counting. This May, during our council, they'll get to celebrate 25 years as our superintendents. Can we celebrate that, the faithfulness of their ministry? Now, this may, they will be stepping down from that role as superintendent, but uh, just hearing their heart and hearing what God has been stirring their hearts to do, they will be continuing to be uh, effectively uh, influencing people through other avenues of ministry, and we're excited to see what God is going to do in and through them. Not only do they faithfully serve our Kansas district, but they have uh, been recognized and invited to be a part of the National Board of Trustees as a non-resident executive presbyter for the Assemblies of God uh, in the U.S. And then also, he gets to serve on the National uh, Missions, actually the World Missions Board, where he gets to connect with all of these missionaries and, and, and equip them and empower them. They have three amazing kids that love Jesus and are all serving as pastors in local churches and are making a huge impact in the kingdom. I'm personally challenged and motivated by his heart to see the unreached people group, the marginalized, the people that are in captivity set free. So this morning, would you join me in welcoming my friend and pastor, Pastor Terry Yancey, as he comes to share God's word. Thank you, buddy. I love you. I am so thankful for your pastor, uh, he and Misty. And your pastor has uh, been helping us at a state level, uh, serving as one of our presbyters. He brings so much wisdom to the table. And Pastor Anthony, thank you for your willingness to do that. I want all of you to notice that um, I don't have cool hair like Jake. And I, I can't sport moccasins and look cool. But listen, if I had hair like you, I would wear it like you wear it. And, 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 and did you just sense the presence of Jesus on this missionary? So glad that you're here. Our missions couple last night. We, we, you and I, I need you to hear this. You and I represent something God created for a certain purpose. 
you're, you're sitting on something called a chair. You know why there's a chair here? Because somebody said, you know, if we're in an extended meeting, standing gets kind of tiring. We ought to invent something to solve that problem. Let's, let's make this thing. And in English, we call it a, a chair. Some of us uh, don't have as much hair as others, but, but if your hair looks anything like combed, the reason you had a comb is because somebody said, you know, if we created some kind of instrument with these teeth things, maybe, maybe we could make our hair do something different than look like we stuck our finger in a light socket. And others of us, <laughs> yes, brother, it's coming, have beautiful slick heads because someone said, I, I don't like the stubble on my head. I would rather it just, you know, look like the top of an underarm roll-on deodorant. <laughs> and so they created these little shavers that, and, and you're, you have one of the most beautiful heads I've ever seen in my life. God created you as a solution to an issue. You are a solution to the darkness in this world. You are, Jesus, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And this missions convention weekend, last night and today, is all about us rallying around the thought, we are sent, what will we do? If we can't all literally go, we all won't literally get to go to Sri Lanka like Jake and Samantha, but can we send? Can we help others get there? Well, if you have a Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to open to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Why don't you stand with me for a moment just to change positions? I won't be preaching that long, but I do want to... Uh, Make sure you're as alert as possible. You'll need all the help you can get with me. Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. And uh, in the King James, it calls it a parable. And a parable is simply an earthly story supporting a value of God's kingdom citizens. So he tells this parable. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, a person that worked in the temple and actually sacrificed animals and burned animals and did a lot of uh, religious things. This priest came along. But when the priest saw the guy laying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at the guy lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, verse 35, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. <laughs> now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Amen. You may be seated. We're living in an antagonistic culture and even some misinformed Christians see missionary efforts as nothing but veiled colonialism. They see Jake going to preach to Buddhists in Sri Lanka to develop relationships with Buddhists and Muslims and to try to get them to convert to follow Jesus Christ. And they say that's nothing more than oppression and colonialism. Did you know that George Barna's research team uncovered a large percentage of high schoolers and college-age evangelical Christian kids? They are part of churches that preach the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That a large percentage of them think, quote, efforts to encourage other people to leave their religion and embrace Christianity is morally wrong. Now, either they are biblically illiterate or they are rebellious toward the things of God or some combination of both. But you and I cannot, if we're followers of Jesus and actually believe the Bible, we cannot read what Jesus says. We cannot observe what the early church did in obedience to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, declare that there is forgiveness for sin available to every man, woman, boy and girl on the planet, make disciples of them. We can't take that seriously and on the other hand say that's morally wrong. But we're living in a culture that is, is eager to say, if you disagree with me, that's a microaggression, and, and you're abusing me. I'm here to tell you the greatest abuse on the planet is for a church that believes the world needs Jesus to stand by and do nothing about it. So I want to just take a few moments and enter into this this context that you as a church for all of the history that I've known you and I've known this church body in multiple iterations for right at 30 years and you are a church that has chosen a, a different route than what the current culture embraces you have chosen the route of loving obedience and you are determined to make a compassionate investment to carry heaven's hope into a darkness that currently holds more than 60% of the world's population in bondage and slavery to sin. People are separated from the God who created them. You intend to love your nearby, mid-range, and far away neighbors. Who is my neighbor? I want you to consider the progression of the first century church. Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, it shows them 
in essence, they easily reached their nearby neighbors. The, on the slide, it should say something like Jewish people that were already culturally predisposed toward the one true God. They just needed a nudge to, to see that, that uh, what they had been culturally hoping for. When Mary was told by an angel, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, she embodied a cultural expectation that, oh, we've been waiting for him for hundreds of years, and I'm going to have him miraculously implanted into my woo wall? Whoa, that's great. So, so she, as a Jewess, was culturally predisposed to be looking for an encounter with God that was on a very personal level. So her whole culture, all of the Jewish people in that era, had that predisposition that Messiah would come to their aid. And so, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and declared to them what was happening around them. There were some people in the crowd heckling, and they said, these guys are drunk. Listen to them. They're babbling. And Peter said, we're not drunk. It's just nine in the morning. We have experienced what God prophesied through the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Listen, God is still pouring out his spirit, his Spirit, his prevenient spirit is not going to show up just because Jake shows up. There is the spirit of God hovering over Sri Lanka, preparing them. Romans chapter 1 declares that the heavens above, the sky, and all that we can see, the created things, are in essence giving this shining bright light that says there's someone that made all of this. Turn your eyes to him. There is a prevenient grace and, and the covering of the Spirit where he's going. Where you live, there's a prevenient work of the Holy Spirit working on your nearby neighbors. And so these first century Christians were able to reach people that were very, very, very much like them. Now, the believers that were following Jesus on the day of Pentecost and 2,000 people or 3,000 got saved that day, they put their faith in Jesus. Now, they still had to be discipled. They still had to be taught and grown. And one of the things they had to get delivered from more than anything else was, was nationalism. They, they were wanting Jesus, the Messiah, to come and take care of the Roman problem. They wanted him to be a militaristic leader that would, would push Pontius Pilate and all of the Romans out of Judea and would even march on Rome and set up a kingdom so glorious that no one had ever seen the likes of it. They were nationalistic. That's a plague in the American church today. Don't be, let's not be Americans who happen to be Pentecostal Christians. Let's be Pentecostal Christians who happen to be Americans. I don't know how you'll vote when it comes to no the November election, but I know this. Your hope and mine is not coming from the White House. Our hope and salvation is coming from the house of our Father, and Jesus has been there preparing rooms for you and me. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we may be Americans, but we are first and foremost what the nearby neighbors were taught to be. We are followers of Jesus. So the first century church was good at impacting their, their nearby neighbors. But then, number two, they, the, they impacted their mid-range neighbors, Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10. These are people who are culturally different, 
that weren't fully trusted by the believers, but they were people that had an openness to interaction about spiritual things. So in Acts chapter 8, you find Philip, and he is running alongside or walking alongside the road, and he sees a chariot, and the guy in the chariot is a high-ranking official in uh, the, the Candex uh, 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 government in Ethiopia, the queen. He's the treasurer. He's reading the book of Isaiah. He has an openness to the things of God, and Philip leads him to Jesus, baptizes him in water, and it's a really cool experience. This guy is not, is not Jewish, but he was God-fearing. Acts chapter 10, we find Peter going to the house of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. He was very different culturally, but he had a, a yearning. He wanted to know the God of the Jews. Well, it was still against the Jewish uh, uh, cleanliness laws for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile. But God in Acts chapter 10 shows him, if I've called it clean, don't, don't stand away from it. And so Peter goes and he goes into the house and he begins to tell them about Jesus and the whole bunch gets saved. It's a major massive shift, but he's not a close neighbor. He's not a nearby neighbor. He's more culturally a mid-range neighbor. But then, then they began to see and evangelize faraway neighbors. People very different from them. Antioch, Syria. These people that are faraway neighbors, even for us, they are people who have little to no predisposition toward a message involving positive relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Instead, these faraway neighbors often hold hostility toward anyone that promotes a religion besides their own. Acts 11, verse 19 through 21, reads this way. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Do you see that? Their nearby neighbors, those who are a lot like them, they were very comfortable preaching to the people like them. How many of you find that that's, like, human? That's normal. I get that. Only to the Jews. Verse 20, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of those Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. In other words, they carried the presence of a living Jesus with them. They didn't start from a cerebral place. Listen, the gospel we preach is a gospel that stands up to good reasoning. Thank God. You don't need to check your brain at the door if you're going to follow Jesus. He called us to be thinking Pentecostals. But the starting place with these faraway neighbors, those people who are very different from us, it seems that the whole point was, let's walk in the fullness of Jesus. Jesus said, walk in the power of the baptism of the Spirit, so you will be witness of me everywhere you go. And when it says be witness of me, listen, to be a witness, number one, you got to see something. Number two, you got to be willing to talk about what you see. Then you're a witness. And so when they're being witness in Acts 11, they're noticing what Jesus is actively doing in the moment. Jesus is a real-time God. 
He is not just a historic construct. And so they saw him moving and they knew, oh, he's about to heal this person. Oh, this demon-possessed person, they're about to get set free. And they cooperated with Jesus. And through those power encounters, then they were willing to receive the head knowledge, the understanding of what God was doing. And so these, these Jewish believers began to see and evangelize faraway neighbors. It was a great awakening, probably along the same lines as what happened in Samaria, divine healings, deliverance from demons. And, and so, just like happened in Samaria, Acts 8, the Jerusalem church sent a leader to go and help them grow in Jesus. Well, if Barnabas did in Acts 11 what Peter and John did in Acts 8, he preached about the baptism of the Spirit, describing to them the necessity of the power of God to do the work of God in the way God wants his work done in that era. And he wants it done the same way in this era. So at that point, Luke shifts his, Luke is the writer, the author of the book of Acts. He shifts his attention. Are you getting anything out of this? Are you with me? All right. If I just woke you up from a nap, I'm sorry. If you don't get anything but a nap from my preaching that you got to get something. But he shifts his attention from the Jerusalem church who was very effective with nearby and mid-range neighbor and he focuses on the Antioch church. By the time we get where we preached from last night in Acts chapter 13 and the chapters after that, he is focusing on the intentionality about taking the gospel to other far away people in need of someone seeing their condition and paying the price to offer a remedy. No one on this planet, Sri Lanka, is a long ways away. It takes a while to get there. Our missionaries last night going to Luxembourg in Europe. It's a long way to get to a place that is half the size of Rhode Island. But the 99.82% have no connection to Jesus Christ. Are we willing to pay the price to go as far as it takes, are we, are we willing to be what Jesus said, the neighbor who notices and meets a need? I think you and I are the someones that God has selected for this generation of Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims do you know part of why Buddhists are so hard to reach? I love Mark Doreen's book about Change the Map. And Mark describes his encounters with Buddhists in Thailand. And they are hard and resistant. There's little access in the Buddhist world to the gospel, little access. They're culturally averse to a message of Jesus on the cross. To the Buddhist mind, Jesus dying on the cross simply is, wow, did he have bad karma. Because there's the whole reincarnation, recycling, recycling. And if I live a bad life, I die a bad death. And then when I come back, I'm like maybe my mother-in-law's cat. Maybe you think cats are wonderful and mother-in-laws are great, so that joke didn't land. <laughs> I had a wonderful mother-in-law, and I've never met a cat that I couldn't avoid. I know all 17 cat lovers in the room are, are looking down on me now. But these are people who, who think differently. They're faraway neighbors. 
Muslims who are culturally associated with Islam, but maybe not radicalized, others who are radicalized in Libya today. There are some Libyans who have said yes to the lordship of Jesus, and they are in prison because the Libyan government, they expelled our Assemblies of God missionary and his family. Thank God they didn't put him in prison. They held him and his wife for a couple of days, and then they turned them loose, but they kept some of the Libyan believers And the penalty in Libya, Islamic control, the penalty of conversion to Christianity away from Islam is death. And these believers, one of them said to his captors, the the police that picked him up, Islam has already taken everything from me. Jesus has given me life. There's nothing to go back to. Do your worst. That's brave and that's crazy sounding. But he understands serving Jesus, walking in the light of God is worth whatever the price. And there are people all over the world that need to hear what you and I believe is the truth of Jesus, the risen Son of God. So I'm going to wrap up with this. Fatima is a woman that lives in Dhaka, Bangladesh. A woman at the well kind of lady, former prostitute that had a lot of connections with the still the women in the trade in Dhaka, told this woman, exposed Fatima to Project Rescue, to the Oasis house. And, and Fatima, for the first time in her life, light came on in her eyes as she understood that Jesus loves her. And she began to enter into a relationship with Jesus, and she desperately wanted out of her hellish existence that had been forced upon her. And she wanted out, and her, her pimp decided to put her out of the trade by dragging her to a remote area, hardly anyone around, and trying to choke her to death, and he thought he had killed her. He left her for dead, but she wasn't. And as she was stumbling toward home, a group of men spotted her, got her down, and began to attempt to rape her just as a policeman came up. And that's not good news. Because when he ran the perpetrators off, the policeman raped her. Such brutality and abuse leaves scars only Jesus can heal. And Project Rescue is there to pour in the oil and the wine of His presence and of His unselfish love. Fatima began to associate with Project Rescue and is growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Very different from many of us, most of us, if not all of us. Very different, a faraway neighbor. But she began to to understand that Jesus had more for her life than what she had been told. Culturally, a girl in that context is not worth very much. Many parents sell their little girls into a life of sexual abuse and prostitution. And although Fatima still lives in a hovel in an unspeakably filthy area, she often says to our missionary Brianna Peterson, and I quote, my life is so beautiful.
Why can she say her life is so beautiful? Because someone in a service like this either heard Jesus and said, yes, I'll go, like Brianna Peterson, or someone in a service like this said, I'll make a faith promise, and if God provides me the money, I will give on a monthly basis, and I'll make sure that we support missionaries that are going to reach these people that are so different from us, but so deserving of hearing the truth. Beauty came to Fatima, and thousands just like her, because people like you loved faraway neighbors enough to pay the price. The man in Jesus' story paid the price. He put himself out. He put this neighbor on his donkey and led that guy, carried him to an inn, took care of him, and then he left money and said, take care of him while I'm gone, and when I come back, if it costs more, count on me. Flag Church, I believe Jesus can count on you to be like the Samaritan to say to people who are far from us but far away neighbors there's no price too high we you can count on us we will pay the price I think you have on the seats a little card that looks like this it's called a faith promise card I'm going to ask you after I pray team's going to lead and pastor will be closing the service but I want to ask you to take that card and understand that that card, your response to that card, and I'm hoping everybody will do something and set a goal. What, what might the Lord do through me? Just, just me. <laughs> a faith promise means that I look at my budget and I say, okay, I think I can do this much. And then it says, and I'm going to start watching for the Lord to surprise me with 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 extra opportunities that, that create more funds. And then will you, will you dream a dream that maybe, maybe God could actually, would actually use your life? For some in this room, believing God for $10 a month for missions is a massive deal. For some in this room, making a faith promise goal of, of 1000 a month might not stretch you at all. The point is, Will you be a neighbor? Mr. Rogers was a wonderful neighbor. But he didn't get much out of his neighborhood. Let's, let's expand beyond our neighborhood. And so I hope you'll fill this out. This little part, I think it says that you can keep this as a bookmark. And then this other part, just submit so that this fellowship, this pastor and the team know what you're believing God for. And they can build their mission's faith budget around that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you have called us to provide access to the gospel to the world. Lord, I pray that Flag Church would rise to heights, the men and women in this room would rise to heights of faith and expectancy and action beyond anything they've ever known. And may the year 2024 be the biggest year 
in raising up men and women to be missionaries, to go to nearby, mid-range, and faraway neighbors. And may it be the biggest year ever for financial contributions to support these missionaries who have already heard the call and are going especially to the faraway 